Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7 as we uh, finish up this message that we started the other Sunday. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be talking about judging not. And, and it's important to understand what Jesus is saying because we have a misinterpretation of this passage today. It's being misused in a big way. It says, do not judge lest you be judged. So we shouldn't judge at all. Well, is that what Jesus is really talking about? He says, for in a way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. And this is one we're going to, we'll be talking about each one briefly before we get into it, but this is one that we're going to be majoring in on that we left off at. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will be, uh, you'll be able to clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just ask for your grace and its sufficiency today in our lives for this service. I pray that you'll open up our minds, our hearts, our eyes to your truth. Pray that you'll deal with our lives the way you so desire to deal, and we'll allow you to reveal to us what we need to have revealed. But we will go even further, Lord, that we will be obedient unto you in taking the word, applying it to our lives, and living it out as we leave this place for your kingdom living. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Please anoint it in a very special way as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Judge not that you be not judged. In other words, don't judge. This is what he's telling us. Well, in one sense, yes. In one sense, no. We make moral judgments, as I shared with you, all the time. Someone wanting the right kind of babysitter. Someone wanting uh, to rent out to the right kind of person. Somebody wanting to buy the right kind of car from the right kind of person. Trusting them or not trusting them. You know, uh, uh, business transactions, we go on and on and on. Getting married, finding the right partner. We all the time make moral judgments. So if we're all the time making moral judgments, what exactly is Jesus saying here? The question we've got to ask is, what did he mean when he said, do not judge lest you be judged? Now, I want it to be noted, as I said last week, that this passage has erroneously, and may I say erroneously, been used to suggest that believers should never evaluate or criticize anything or any, anyone for what uh, they're doing. So living in a culture that hates absolutes, and I want to share with you, for the most part, hates absolutes. Many Christians resist dogmatism. 
They resist strong convictions concerning right and wrong. And that's unfortunate, but we do. They instead prefer to speak of an all-inclusive love and by doing so, compromise so that we can be all in unity. And so those who do stand up for absolutes, for right and wrong, that have strong convictions, are branded as being judgmental. If you do that, then you are branded by many as being judgmental. Now, as we see Jesus saying, judge not that you be not judged, what is he saying? Is he teaching us to adopt a non-judgmental posture? As I said, yes and no. It's all in what he's saying. And we must understand that. There is a difference between moral judgment and judgmentalism. There is a difference. We need to see the necessity of moral judgment and the danger of judgmentalism. Jesus deals with both of them in this passage. And the main theme is judgmentalism. Now, in this passage, he forbids self-righteous, Hasty, unmerciful, unwarranted condemnation based on human standards and human understanding. He gives three reasons why such judgment is sinful, is wrong. The first one, you, are, you have it there. We went over it. It gives an incorrect view of God. The key contextual focus here is between God's kingdom and living and Phariseeism and their living. He's contrasting the two. And so he's been doing that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus' warning is referring to judgmental or judgmentalism. The judgment of our motives. We, do, we cannot do that. And we give an incorrect view of God when we do that. Because many times what? We're wrong. And if we're judging a person's motive, God knows the motive. We don't. He knows the heart. We don't. And so in turn, we step into the zone where we shouldn't be. And we're giving people the wrong impression of God around them. Because many times, if not most of the time, we're wrong about it. We just don't know all that's inclusive all that's included, all that's involved, all that's going on in that person's life. So we don't know their motive. Romans 14, 13. Therefore let not us judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. In other words, Paul said, don't judge their motive. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about you know, not dealing with a person in, in wrong and right, knowing that there is and there be discipline or correction there because Romans speaks of that. But we do know that he is dealing with that in that verse. Unrighteous and unmerciful judgment is forbidden. It manifests a wrong view of God. 
And so the second thing is, it gives an incorrect view of others. In Matthew 7, 2, for in, in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And your standard, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. In Matthew 7, 2. So, what is God saying? He's saying that it gives a wrong view of us or others because it makes us look like we're superior to them when we uh, speak of them in such way that we think that we know everything about them and, and we know how they ought to live and we know their heart. We don't do that. We don't know that. In uh, Romans 2, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore you are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. It's a boomerang con uh, uh, condemnation. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. There'll be a judgment upon us. He'll come around to us. He'll prove who that the very things that we're talking about in somebody else's life, more than likely we are having problems with in our own life. So God has no double standards in criticizing unjustly or condemning unmercifully. We play God and we give the impression that we ourselves are above criticism. How many times have you seen this? How many times have you experienced it and how many times have we done it? When we do this kind of thing, or when we see it's done to us, more than likely that person is not willing to accept any kind of judgment, are they? I mean, they're not wrong. They don't even see what they're saying to you is wrong. And so in turn, they're setting them up in that way when they deal with you unjustly. Now, I'm not talking about scripturally, spiritually, or or in a helpful way. But God sets none of us as final judge above others. And we dare not set ourselves as judge above others. Other people are not under us. And to think so is to have a wrong view of them. To be gossipy. Tailbearers. Critical. Judgmental is to live under false illusion that those who were so judged are somehow inferior to us those who are judging excuse me are inferior to us and it's it, they're not nobody's inferior to one another the verbs there in in the present tense is an ongoing attitude on the part of the individual who is fault finding who is criticizing you ever been around a person it seems like everything that they Say, and all the time they're finding wrong and fault. But they never find fault in them, their own selves. You never hear them speak of them on, their own selves. It's a boomerang. Such judgment is a boomerang. In other words, it comes back to judge you. It's not really about that person as much as it is about you. Jesus is telling us, or me, the same measure you judge, used to judge, evaluate, and criticize others will be used to judge and evaluate and criticize you. Now, it gives an incorrect, incorrect view of ourselves also. 
And why do you look at the speck in your own eye, brother's eyes, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and behold the log in your, uh, behold the log is in your own eye. So when we judge critically, we also manifest a, an erroneous view of ourselves. When we put ourselves in the place of God as judge, then we pervert our perspective of others and ourselves. So it is a sin of grossly distorted vision. It is a sin that looks at its own, you know, uh, at its own sin and still imagines it sees only righteousness. It overlooks its own sin, in other words. And it claims to be both lawgiver and judge. And those prerogatives only belong to God. Judgmentalism denies and opposes the gospel. Jesus knew what his disciples what the Pharisees, but not only what the Pharisees, but what his disciples and others would be doing or tempted to do. It is a big temptation. And so in turn, we are to pray at all times for wisdom from God in how to act. James says, uh, you know, tells us that a self-righteous person is a hypocrite who is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror for only once he has looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten and what kind of person he is. We just forget about what's going on in our own life. Jesus was rebuking the natural tendency to look at others and instinctively observe their faults but refuse to consider their, our own problems. It's the natural tendency of the self-righteous to exaggerate the shortcomings of others while ignoring our own. We have a tendency to extol our own virtues while judging others. You know, we always, it's always good to build ourselves up, isn't it? And to make ourselves look good. But I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. And he's not telling us at the same time as we build ourselves up. How, a lot of times how we build ourselves up is tearing somebody else down. And that's unfortunate. I don't know about you, but I'm, I've done that before. I know. Some person said, wrote, faults in others I plainly see. Praise the Lord, there's none in me. You know, it's kind of like being critical and judgmental. We've talked about... Uh, football game uh, the Saints uh, you know I know a lot of you may not have been pulling for the Saints when they uh, played uh, St. Louis but I know some were and uh, I'll have to admit that was a bad call seeing it that was a bad call but have you ever seen somebody I'm not we're not talking about that being critical and judgmental at a football game or a football fan who talks about a football I've seen this happen with parents at teenagers' games. They sit on the 40-yard line watching the game. They're quick to yell and criticize a 17-year-old who misses a tackle and the 16-year-old who misses a catch. 
They yell at the 18-year-old when he overthrows his receiver. They, they criticize the coaches, how they coached. They criticize uh, the referees, which sometimes uh, there's due criticism there. But they criticize the referees. But do you know what? They're the type of people that enter the parking lot and they can't find their own car. So often, there is a thing of projection. It is, I discover in others, the very thing I hate and can't stand in myself. When we become skilled in finding fault in other Christians, watch out, for we are guilty of the same thing, usually. Which leads us to the correct view. I want you to look, and this is the one that we're Majoring in on this morning, 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, the last verse is, I had a hard time fitting that in there. I don't know, but uh, you, you may see it fit in Uh, A little bit more clear, but we'll talk about that. But Jesus has not been saying that we should not hold fellow Christians unaccountable. He's not saying that. He's not believing in a mere sentimental type of non-judgmentalism as we live in today. This verse sets forth the proper procedure for dealing with the failure of others, especially in verse 5. Before one confronts a brother or sister in whom a fault is observed, a person observing the fault must need to examine himself. That means that as the scripture says that we should continually be examining ourselves, we should have already been looking at our own hearts and souls and making sure that our lives are right and our motives are right in doing this. And that's not always easy, people, because as I look at my own self, I say, is my motive right? Am I right in saying this or doing this? Careful careful scrutiny and and. We, we need to, to carry out that careful scrutiny and, and deal with this own fault in our lives first. Paul gives us the same admonition in Galatians 6.1. Brethren, as a, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Wow. How many times do we do that, though, before we confront a person? The person who has the mind and attitude of kingdom living, of a kingdom citizen, will be the person who, first of all, sees and mourns over his own sin. Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to Matthew 5, 4, when he talks about this morning. Jesus is showing the right kind of judgment by showing the right balance of humility and conviction, poverty of spirit, 
and power in the Spirit to do this in the right manner, in the right attitude. The Lord told his disciples, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, he's not saying there's not a speck in your brother's eye. You may have seen that, but you don't see it correctly. You can't because there's a log in your own eye. And so he's telling us first confess our own sins, which is often the sin of self-righteousness, unfortunately, and of, con of a condemning spirit towards others. When we experience a forgiveness and cleansing of the Lord with our own sin, then we will be able to better help our brother man we've got to see and we've got to remember the grace of God and his cleansing I like what Jimmy uh, we talked about before before uh, before often about and he is so correct we do a lot of things as Christians we learn to live a certain ways and the Bible gives us principles and guidelines to live by but they are not guidelines and principles and commands for us becoming a Christian. We're saved because we're in an evil condition. We're in a depraved condition. We're in a sinful condition. Every one of us, we don't deserve heaven. It's only because of the grace of God. That's it. And this is what Jesus is trying to get us to, to remember even before we try to help our brother. We might have the right motive in trying to help our brother. We see that. But let us pray and let us allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and us go in the right spirit, remembering what God has done for us. It is because of His grace. We will see God as the only judge then. And us as needy, Sinners who are just like others. We may be saved by grace. They may not at times. Or they may. But we will see a brother as a brother then. And we'll both be as sinners. Saved by grace but still have failures and needs. King David saw this finally. I mean, one, you remember uh, when... Uh, the prophet approached him. I mean, he was judgmental about that until the prophet pointed out. But then he wrote this Psalm 51. Uh, Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a clean spirit, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then David continues and he says he says that he will be able to after this to teach transgressors thy, thy ways and sinners will be converted converted to thee see it wasn't until after what he prayed for cleansing in his heart that he asked that God teach him and to help others we cannot play the role of judge. We cannot pass judgment upon someone as if we were God. And we cannot play the role of superiority as if we were exempt from same standards we demand of others. We cannot play the role of a hypocrite blaming others while we excuse ourselves. 
We just can't do that as Christians. We must be careful not to fall into the class, though, of mere sentimental interpretation. That is not what Jesus is talking about, or he wouldn't be talking about sin being in his brother's eyes. Then you'll be able to take care of that. This is a, uh, you know, incorrect view. We're never to, um, to just let things go. We must not conclude that we have no right to oppose wrong doctrine or wrong practices in the church. Because Jesus will be teaching about this later on in Matthew. If we do that, then we will not be willing to confront a sinning brother as the Lord clearly will be teaching us and teaches us here, really. And calls for us to do. And if we become unwilling, as our society is becoming unwilling, and our churches are becoming unwilling to confront falsehood and sin in the church, then we will be inclined to become undiscriminating and undiscerning. And God wants us to be discerning. The church and our lives will become more and more in danger of corruption if we allow us that way of thinking. Peter confronts a church concerning sin. And he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. In 1 Peter 4, 17. It is clear that Christ also commands a certain kind of right judgment here. As he forbids a wrong kind of previous judgment that went before in the previous verses. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swines lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, don't be doing just like the world does. But it means more. Jesus closes with this illustration and it is an, atten an attention get getter. And I think it can be taken in different ways. First of all, in, in biblical times, dogs were seldom kept as household pets. Especially the way that they are today. It would have been unthinkable for a Jew to have thrown to the dogs a piece of holy meat that had been consecrated as sacred in the temple. And also with the swines. They were considered by Jews to be the epitome of uncleanness. And that's the reason Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed uh, a pig on the Jewish altar, forcing the priest to eat it because it was an abomination and he knew it. And he wanted that to, to be seen. That was touched. And it touched off the Maccabean revolt against Greece in 168 B.C. So first the Lord is saying that there will be times when the gospel we present will be absolutely rejected and ridiculed and we make the judgment to turn away and speak no more. That's a hard discerning judgment. He says, but you must be disciplined in the way that you're thinking. Just like he was saying, you know, you must be disciplined in how you judge. 
He says, there will be time for shaking the dust off our feet. And that call isn't always easy, but it is a call that demands obedience. And we need to depend on the Lord with special care and sincerity. Even when we determine that a person is to be rebellious, and here we, we're not being judgmental. We're seeking out guidance from God about the situation. If that person is rebellious to hear the gospel and keeps on refusing, or if he's a false teacher or heretical, and God places upon our heart, this is why we need to be right in our heart, and we need to have that speck removed or that log removed from our own eyes to determine this. And it should be in great disappointment, not in satisfaction, but in great disappointment and sorrow that we turn away, knowing and realizing that they will just trample over the gospel as they have in the past and we no longer can share with them. And that is a hard decision to make. To avoid wrongly judging and to accomplish right discernment is to be marked as a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. And that takes walking with God on a continual basis. You may have been to that point one, at one time where God placed upon your heart, okay, this is it. No longer sh should you share You've shared all your life. And he was just telling you to leave. To sh just shake the dust off your feet. He told the disciples to do that. Second of all, it also applies to non-believers who are on the church road. And I do believe, and it's not my judgment, but I do believe that churches have non-believers on their church row. He's saying don't. Try and persuade them. To live a certain way. Because all it is is moral. When they're rejecting the truth. And all they want to do is argue. And they are living in darkness. And they don't understand the truth. All they want to do is criticize. All they want to do is live in the negative. All they want to do is never see the sin in their own life. He says, you are casting pearls before the feet of swine. Result is something of value being trampled over. So, word of warning. Not everyone is a Christian who has their name on the church row. You see, not everyone who comes down and even prays a prayer is a Christian. As I said, Jimmy mentioned, it is the grace of God that saves you. It's not some kind of work. Okay, if I, if I pray a certain way or if I say certain words or whatever. No, it's from the heart. By faith, you receive God's grace. It's not going through the baptismal waters that makes you a Christian. It's not being on the church row in Sunday school that makes you a Christian. It's not coming every Sunday or 
two or three times a, a month that makes you a Christian. It is realizing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone boast. It's not a bunch of works. It's by God's grace and his grace alone. Period. That's it. In Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that a lot of times we beg the wrong people. We plead with them to work, to live a certain way, to do a certain thing, and maybe their heart has never been changed. And he says, be careful. We're not to be critical, but we are to be those who are discerning. We're not to be judgmental. And I don't go around looking for people in the church to see whether you are saved or not by what you do or you don't do or how you act or how you don't act. It is by the grace of God. But I do know this one thing. I cannot, nor can you, make anyone else do anything. It is by the grace of God. And God does it. Let's bow our heads in prayer.